Hi, I'm Anna-Claire Harper, and you're listening to The Return, Property and Investment Podcast, kindly sponsored by IMO, a leading technology-led residential real estate platform designed to create quality portfolios of existing single-family rental housing at speed and scale. Find out more at imo.capital. And now, on with the podcast. Hi, and welcome to The Return, Property and Investment Podcast. I'm Anna, and I'm delighted to be joined again by Grania Gilmore, who is Head of Research at Zoopla. Prior to Zoopla, she was Head of UK Residential Research at Knight Frank, and before that, Economics Correspondent at The Times, where she worked for 11 years. So she's incredibly well-placed to talk about what's happening in the market. Welcome back to the podcast, and thank you for joining me again. Hi, Anna. Great to be back. So you just released another brilliant report on the UK rental market, which makes for a really interesting reading on what's been happening. And I'm really keen to dig into the findings, which they're relevant and they're important for investors and for tenants alike. So first off, what's actually happened in the last year in terms of rental pricing across the UK and why? So we have seen quite a sharp rise in rental growth over the last year. I mean, it's up to kind of 13, 14-year highs in rental growth. Um, average rents are up to £995 a month across the UK. And that means 11% rise in average rents across the country. Now, excluding London, which we know is one of the biggest markets and also one of the most expensive markets in the UK, excluding London, average rents are around £830 a month and there's about a 9% increase in rents. And the reason that we are seeing this level of rental growth is because of the supply and demand dynamics in the market. During the pandemic, many markets, especially in those city centres, which is where a lot of private rented properties are kind of congregated in those city centres. We saw a lot of that demand really ease off during the pandemic. City centres were shut, no one was coming to work, a lot of retail was closed. So the rental market was quite affected by that. And the rental market just kept chugging along outside city centres and in more rural areas where some people had decided to move to during the pandemic. What we've seen in the last six months or so, six to eight months, that demand in city centres has roared back to life. And it makes sense. Everything has opened up. Life in city centres is operating as usual. So we have seen really strong rental demand in city centre markets, and that is dragging rental growth up across the country. The most extreme version of that is in London. So a year ago, we would have been chatting and I would have been telling you that average rents were down 10% on the year. Now they're up around 15% on the year. Now in monetary terms, what that means is that average rents in London are about £70 more expensive every month now than at the beginning of the pandemic. So real upward pressure on rents. And just to be clear, we do our data based on new lets agreed. So this is really reflecting when people are moving into new rental accommodation. But average rents really strong upward pressure on rents because you have a lot of demand in the market at the moment and supply is not keeping up and that is putting the upward pressure on those prices. Wow. Okay. We've covered a lot there. So (laughs) that is really, really helpful and really interesting. So just going back to that kind of headline rate of rental price inflation, you mentioned 11% across the UK. And I think the concern a lot of people have right now is around the cost of living. So how does that rental price inflation... I mean, we've seen inflation sort of in the year to March, overall inflation not relating to housing has been about 6.2%. So how do the two kind of interact, inflation and rental price inflation? 
Yeah, so the cost of housing is involved in some elements of inflation calculations, especially when it comes to a measure called CPIH. And rents are used as a way of factoring in the functional cost of living in a house. And some mortgage calculations are used as well. But in the total cost of living basket, you have a lot of retail goods in there as well and a lot of costs of services. Whereas in the rental market, what we're seeing is just this supply and demand dynamic just borne out that the market is not in equilibrium. There's demand, especially heavy demand in these city centre markets and the supply of properties, much of which are still supplied by individual buy-to-let landlords, is not keeping pace. And overall, in the rental sector, we have had a drop-off in the number of buy-to-let landlords active in the market. Tax changes that came in five or six years ago, and especially that additional stamp duty for people buying buy-to-let properties, meant that the people investing hasn't matched the levels we saw before that. And that means there's just more pressure on this market, which needs more supply. We do look at some interesting data at Supla, and we can look at properties that are put on the sales market that were previously rented out. And we can see that there's an increase over the last year or two of the number of landlords that are obviously testing the market to see if they might sell up. Now, what we can also do is follow that through and see how many do sell. And what we do see is that the number of people who are testing the market, you know, the proportion that do sell up is about 10% of sales are landlords. But what we can't tell is how many of those then go back in and reinvest their money as a buy-to-let landlord. Because many people who use this as a source of income like it as a source of income, and that's their investment, the way they approach their investments. So it's interesting to see that in a market where capital values have also risen very strongly, Anna, it's really interesting to see that buy-to-let landlords may be reviewing their portfolios, seeing if they can crystallize those gains, and then potentially going back into the buy-to-let market. Mm, and it's really, really interesting. And the reality is, it's not just the tax changes, right? It's the tax changes and the whole host of regulations around residential property and its management. And I know I've said this on the podcast before, but we've got 168 laws and regulations governing that at the moment for investors, which is really hard for private landlords to keep up with. And as a result, it doesn't make sense anymore a lot of the time. But I think what is really interesting about your reports and this data is that it's clearly... Well, to me, it seems pretty clear that the negative of having more regulations to improve standards of living across the rental market is that supply is falling. And like you said, landlords are selling their properties, which means there's less rental housing supply, which is a problem for the affordability of rental housing. And just on that, so how does the rate of rental price growth that we've seen in the last year affect affordability of housing? And also, how has that changed over time? Absolutely. So if we look at the UK excluding London, the average rent now for a single earner, the average rent is going to take up around 32% of their gross income. And if you include London and take the whole UK figure, that rises to around 38%. Now, both of those figures are just slightly higher than the five-year average. I mean, sorry, yes, so the five-year average of affordability. So you can see those affordability levels are just pushing a bit higher. Now, if you are a sharer, if you're sharing your rental property with someone, obviously the proportion of your gross income that you're having to spend on rent falls proportionately. But what it's also worth mentioning is 
on that affordability basis, those with more disposable income, when they're thinking about, oh, I want to move and what property do I want to move to? There's more choice for them because they can make a choice about how much rent they want to spend by choosing what property they move into and where they move to. So they might decide to go for a two-bedroom property instead of a three-bedroom property and that way control their rent and how much they're paying. It's the people at the more economic end who don't have that choice, who are perhaps in the property they need to be in, and they are the ones who are going to feel the effects of any rental rises most keenly. Mm, And that's where all this stuff kind of starts to show and exaggerate social inequalities and economic inequalities, which have a very like profound and kind of distressing really social impact. Because like you say, it's all very well looking at the overall market, but the reality is the poorest people get hardest hit by changes in rental price growth, which is going to be a problem, I think, given that supply is falling. So the last two years have been bit of a roller coaster in the rental market. But like you said earlier, kind of the falls and rises in different areas. And if we keep a broader perspective, what's really happened with rental growth in relation to earnings growth first in recent years? It's such an interesting question, Anna, because if we look back to 2017, 2018, 2019, right up to the start of the pandemic, and um, earnings growth just between 2 and 4%, UK rental growth, anywhere between 2 and 4%. It was all much for muchness. But what we saw during the pandemic and what we saw last year was earnings growth reach a peak of over 8%. You may remember the headlines at the time. Now, the one thing just to comment on there is not every industry across the UK economy saw earnings growth of 8%. Some industries were having that level of wage growth because there was a real lack of available workers. So they had to offer very high pay rises in order to entice that labour back into their industry. However, the overall ONS figure for earnings growth was over 8% last year. It's since fallen back down. It's kind of around 5 5.5%. But it's almost as if we're now seeing that level of rental growth echoed you know, from that earnings growth a year ago. But again, it is a function of the supply and demand dynamics, but that is why the affordability metric that I told you about hasn't gone off the charts. It's because the earnings growth has already risen to a certain extent to help absorb some of that rental growth. But again, as we've just covered and as we keep saying, it's not a like-for-like picture in every geography across the UK and in every industry. It very much depends on where people are employed, which industry they're working in, as to what their financial situation will be, and also how much their rents have grown, because there's a very geographical picture across the country in rents. Like we love headline figures because it gives us a direction of travel, gives us a broad outline about what's happening. But year on year rental growth, you know, in London I've kind of mentioned, it's kind of over 15%, but in the Northeast, it's around 7%. So it very much depends where you're living, as well as all the other factors that make up rental growth in the area. Mm. And 7% is still very high (laughs) for a year. I mean, really, realistic, you know, that is a huge increase in the amount that you have to spend on housing, not even including your utility bills and your council tax and your everything else. So yeah, wow. And also worth caveating again, though, that this is based on new let status. So this is based on people Mm. who either have to move or are making a choice to move into a rental property. There would be people agreeing deals with their landlords privately who may not be having to shoulder this level of rental increase. So would you expect then that the data would be much different if you were able to look at the whole of the market and not just new lets? The ONS captures some of that data by using VOA data and its rental index is certainly, it hasn't grown 
as sharply as ours has. Now, ours is based on new lets. We make that very clear. It's yeah. a very good indicator. There are a lot of new lets agreed every year in the market, but it captures an element of that rollover. And we're not seeing such sharp rental increases in the ONS data. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think you would expect that. That makes total sense to me. Okay, interesting. And so let's finally, I suppose I would love to know what you expect to happen in the rental market and why in terms of demand and supply going forward. We are seeing still high levels of demand in the market, but some of this may be explained by renters being very keen and putting out a lot of inquiries to many different properties when they're trying to find somewhere to live, When it's especially in markets that aren't seeing much supply come to the market. But we are seeing supply levels you know, some glimmers of light with some markets seeing more supply coming to the market. And that will help kind of even out this demand supply imbalance. The total stock levels of rental stock available to let across the UK will take some time to unwind. It's not going to repair itself in the next month or two. But even so, with the economic headwinds that we do have coming down the line and the demand for rental properties, especially at the more economic end, may not be there at higher rental charges. So there just is an affordability cap that will apply in the rental market that sometimes buying a home, people will stretch every sinew in order to get to the price that they need to achieve in order to purchase a home. But for rents, people are more considered about what their affordability limit really is and they will adjust the property they move to rather than stretch that. So there will be an affordability consideration in some markets, which will start to put just some downward pressure on that rental growth. We very firmly still think that rents will be in positive territory. Rental growth will be in positive territory at the end of the year, somewhere between 3 and 4%. But we don't think it'll just be as high as we're seeing at the moment, especially in London. It's a bit of a boomerang response. And then we expect it to even out. For sure, it's going to normalise sort of in time. Yes. Yes. As the shock of the last, it's like you say, it is, we've had a huge shock in the last two years, a number of different types of shock, and that will take some time to kind of fill out through the market. Ah, it's very interesting. And is there anything else that you think that listeners should know about the data that you've been collating and reporting on this year over the last year? No, I think you've covered it all very well. I think we've done most angles, but I think the most important thing just to remember is that it is quite a local market all markets are sales and rental. So to drill the report that we put out, and you can find it on the Zoopla website, and you can find the stories about it on the Zoopla website, it covers what's happening at a more local level. If people are interested to see what's happening for them at that level, then the information's there. Brilliant. And so you've almost answered my final question, which was going to be if listeners want to find out more about you or follow the reports or research that Zoopla puts out in general, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. So they can find the report at Zoopla Advantage or they can come to the Zoopla website and just find our research on there as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for that. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure. Good to be with you again, Anna. For listening. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Return. And thanks to Imo for sponsoring this episode. Email hello at imo.capital for more information. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as this really helps other people to find the podcast. Bye for now.